in-depth journalism is more important than ever in a complicated, chaotic time. That's why we listen to NPR's Throughline. This is a podcast that appeals to us on so many levels. As history buffs, we love their historical contextualization of important ongoing issues. As storytellers, we love the engaging way they approach and often humanize complicated tales. As news consumers who want to stay informed, we love the way they give the story behind the big stories of the day. We try to take a similar approach on the murder sheet, and we feel confident that our listeners would enjoy giving NPR's Throughline a try. We've been going through their entire backlog recently, listening to them as we drive to source meetings. One favorite of mine was their episode about Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Throughline's coverage didn't disappoint, delving in depth into one of history's worst U.S. presidents. They also did an episode which is rather pertinent to our work, and that was the one they did about the proliferation of conspiracy theories and how they've always been part of America's DNA. That's something I think about quite a lot, given the creep of misinformation and manipulation in online true crime spaces. NPR's Throughline is a source we trust. They're all about nuance and depth and unpacking the messiness behind outwardly simple stories. Go back in time. Learn something new. Emerge more knowledgeable about today's headlines. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of domestic abuse, violence against children, and the murder of two children. For the last few weeks, we have been talking a great deal about the murders of Liberty German and Abigail Williams in Delphi, Indiana. Through court documents and interview transcripts, we have tried to explain why the investigation into those crimes has of late been focused on Tony Klein, the father of Kagan Klein, the man currently in jail facing a slew of charges related to child sexual abuse materials. But who exactly is Tony Klein, and what is he like? We decided to go to someone who knew him quite well, Bart Craning, who was once Tony's stepson. Uh, we, we've been covering the Delphi case, but recently we've sort of kind of uh, gotten on a track of reporting um, about sort of Tony Klein, essentially, uh, and are just sort of trying to learn more about this person. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, I knew him for a really long time, so I'm sure I can at least shed some light on some questions you may have. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. 
Adi and I connected over the Burgerchef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the murder sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We're the murder sheet. And this is the Delphi murders. Who is Tony Klein? Part one. We asked Bart to tell us how Tony Klein first came into his life. So I met him, I mean, my earliest memories as a child, he was involved. I mean, I can remember my, I think one of my first memories is a birthday party when I was a kid, and I remember him being there. So um, he was married to my mom when I was, you know, in elementary school, uh, all the way up until they got divorced, uh, I believe, when I was in the sixth grade or maybe heading into the seventh grade. And so I, yeah, I mean, I, that's how I knew him. I mean, he was, he was the person that I called dad for a, at least a period of my time, you know, when I was a kid. Absolutely. I know in your email to me, you said that he was the worst person you've ever known. And I guess, could I ask you to sort of expand upon that and tell us uh, how you came to realize that? Um, Well, I mean, my childhood was surrounded by fear of him and because of what an abusive person he was. Uh, Physical abuse is what was, you know, brought on my sister, my mother, and me by this guy. And so I grew up thinking that was normal until I saw other kids at other, you know, houses. And I would go over there and I realized things are different. And, uh, you know, I never was a kid that had friends over because I was terrified of what would happen if they were there. And so... Yeah, I've never met anyone else like him because that was, you know, I spent so much of my childhood fearing him that, uh, yeah, to me, I just didn't think there was, you know, anyone worse. And I I still don't. Um, I, you know, I don't have like this hidden animosity where I sit around and I think about what happened towards him. I've, you know, forgiven all of that, but I still do. You know, uh, just the things that I witnessed as a kid and the feelings that I had, uh, you know, he is a very, in my opinion, an evil person, I would say. 
how how does he come across? Like, is it a situation where it's constant violence, or does he have like personality that he shows to the world, and then it's different at home? Yeah, I would say it's a little bit of both because I do remember uh, him either being diagnosed or my mother saying he had he was bipolar, and that's the way it seemed to me. You know, he did have this. Uh, persona that he put forth that was, you know, a, a, a nice guy, you know, but it wasn't, I don't think people that would even know him in a day-to-day life, I don't think they're going to think of him as a, some nice guy. Uh, I, it's, he doesn't hide being that person very well. And at least when I was a child, I mean, there was things in public that was physical, not one time. I mean, it was more than once. And many of the kids, I think, uh, knew that I had issues going on at home. And it was just one of those things that, you know, I just felt like I just I guess I thought it was normal, you know, for a long time until you find out it's not. Absolutely. Um, Could you describe sort of the acts of violence that he sort of perpetrated against you and your sister and your mom? Um, so a lot of times they would stem from just being at dinner and I remember a, a, you know, a plate getting smashed against the wall and spaghetti being on the wall. And that's how I feel like a lot of times it all started was when it was, maybe it was just when we were together, you know, all gathered around. But, um, so you know, I saw my sister throw through a door before. I saw Tony, you know, on top of my mom, physically punching her uh, multiple times. We went to Christmas, Thanksgiving, holidays, and my mom would have black eyes, uh, a broken nose, would be wearing glasses. Um, and it wasn't, I just, it just was not a hidden thing. And so, that I mean, that's really, I think that was mostly what it was, was just very physical. And he's a big dude, or at least, I mean, I haven't seen him in years, but at least he was. And uh, he, you know, it, it, that's it, that's what I remember is him being much bigger than us and, um, you know, just punching, punching a lot. I'm so sorry that you and your family went through that. I mean, that's that's horrific and to see that as a kid uh i'm i'm uh in terms of in terms of how that um you know sort of also manifested itself you know it just sounds like i mean he sounds like he was sort of a bully in the household is that fair to say oh yeah absolutely there was no contradicting him whatsoever there was uh if we're sitting in the room watching something in the evening time and you get up to get a drink of water without asking him if you can get up to get a drink of water, um, then that usually resorted to violence. So yes, he's very, very, um, if he is not the one making all decisions, he cannot control himself, in my opinion. (laughs) Did he have like a social circle? You mentioned that he had a hard time keeping this side of him under wraps, even in public. Yeah, I I remember a few of his friends. I don't really remember their names, but I remember a consistent 
few people that we would, he would either go, there was a couple guys that they rode motorcycles together and, uh, they went to like sprint car races together. And so there were a few of the, the same, the same guys, but I would have no clue what their names were. Yeah. I just, I, I do remember their faces and their consistency though. Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, and did, did he, you know, w- with you guys, you and your sister being his stepchildren, did he like, was there any sort of attempt at first to like make you guys like, like, well, like I mean, I'm just kind of curious in terms of like, did he try to cultivate a relationship with you at all? Or it almost sounds like it just sort of was awful all around. And I'm just, you know, trying to get a sense of, you know, what that dynamic was. Um, I would say, no, I think he did make an attempt to be you know like a a father figure and tried to make an attempt to do things like he I remember him coming to football and baseball and and things but in the same time you know my last name was my father's last name my family's last name but yet with no legal reason they went to the school and had me use his last name for like two years i was bart klein and that drove me crazy it drove my dad crazy and the school just you know they it just it just happened mom just went there and that's what my name was and so that's what it was and not to blame her at all this was tony's doing he wanted the like everything about him and so even though my name was not Klein, uh, I was, you know, for a year of football and, and wrestling and baseball, I was Mark Klein. And it was this huge thing with all my friends and my coaches were confused and uh, I hated it. It was very embarrassing for me, but that's just one instance of his just where he has to be like the dominant figure, you know. Right. It's like, forget what my stepson will think or what how this will affect him. It's I need to show my ownership almost. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of like, I mean, some of this really horrific abuse and and sort of physical abuse. Um, what, do, do you know at any point if he came on law enforcement radar for any of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> when I was, I think I was in the fourth grade or in between. I, no, I was. I think I was going into the third grade. And because we still lived in Peru and we basically one night he, I had a bathroom in my room and it constantly clogged and had an issue. Hold on one second. My son is right next to me. Uh, I need to take your time. Mysteries are at the heart of everything we do here on the murder sheet. But sometimes it's more fun to dive into a fictional caper. That's why we love the free to download hidden object game, June's Journey. This game is our daily escape from waiting around in line, getting stuck on hold, and just general doldrums. It is great to be able to just knock out a few levels here and there. You'll get to discover your inner sleuth and sharpen your observational skills by finding clues hidden in each level. Plus, it's like dropping straight into your own cozy mystery novel. You play as June Parker, an amateur detective with a nose for trouble. You get to tackle all kinds of bizarre crimes across a series of elegant and memorable locales. Also, you have a side hustle decorating your own island estate. I love that. I bought a swan pond. She really did. 
download this game for a built-in work break. It's a great mental health boost that makes you feel accomplished before you get back to tackling whatever task you have at hand. And remember, when you support our advertisers, you're supporting our show. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, I'm back. Oh, yeah, no worries. Um, and take your time if you have to, t- you know, take any breaks or anything like that. Um, yeah, so uh, I remember I had a bathroom in my bedroom and it constantly clogged. And he was always pissed off about it. He was always, you know, mad that he was in there trying to fix it. So that was like basically off limits to me. Well, I think I either needed to go really bad. Maybe it was, you know, for whatever reason, I used it and it clogged. And so I went and told my mom and he overheard. So, uh, so he came into the room. He pulled me into the room and shoved my head down the toilet and uh, then onto the sink and then out into my bedroom, like tossed me out into the bedroom. And so he went to go grab a plunger and I just ran out of my room and I ran out the front door and it was raining. I don't remember what time of night it was, but it was dark and it was raining and I turned left and I just ran to... Uh, I think it's State Road 19 was uh, the closest road, I believe. And so I ran to that corner and I was just sticking my thumb out like I needed a ride. And this car stopped and this guy got out and he comes over to me and he said, Bart, what are you doing? And it was my baseball coach. And uh, he took me into his truck or his Jeep then went to his house and I remember there was like a family gathering or something at uh because I remember walking into the house and there was like I just seemed like there was a lot of people there for what would be this house and they surrounded me and they were asking me what happened and then I was telling them they called the cops and so Tony went to jail that night and I went back home uh and he went he couldn't see us for, a, I can't remember the exact amount of time, but he had a no contact order with my mom, myself, and my sister. And he did his time that he got on the weekends. So he would go 
to jail like every weekend for I, I don't know the time frame. Um, and then <clears throat> got back and then I was entering this was over a year's time I believe because I think I was going into the fifth grade when he came back into uh, like my life after I thought he was gone for good and him and mom just worked tried to work on things and there wasn't that I can remember there wasn't more physical violence after that but when he came back the second time but it was still very demeaning and raised his fist multiple times like he would do it uh but I don't remember him actually doing it the second time and then thankfully mom just couldn't put up with it anymore and eventually they separated when I was in the sixth grade I don't remember seeing him again after that until probably three years ago I saw him and uh that's the first time I had seen him since then since I was a kid so wow Jesus can you tell us about where you saw him and what happened yeah I saw him at the movie theater um I was standing in line. I've even texted a couple of my friends to try to find out who was with me that day. And I haven't been able to find out. But I remember I was just standing in line at the movie theater. And a hand was on, like someone placed their hand on my shoulder. And I turned and it was Tony. And uh, I didn't even, I kind of recognized him, but I wasn't 100% sure who he was. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, Bart, what's up? And as soon as I heard his voice, then I knew who it was. And like, we were cordial. He acted like he had missed me and that, how was I doing? And he was really, said he was proud of me. And uh, that was it. And that was the only time. I, and then we got, he got back in line and, I, you know, I turned around and didn't ever think about, it, you know, see him again. So. Jesus. Um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, you know, your, your half brother, Kagan, um, sort of what was their dynamic like, and could you describe him at all? Um, well, I know Kagan didn't really, that at least on the outside for me, I didn't feel like they were super close. Although Kagan almost always lived with them once he left living at my mom's house Kagan lived with him for years I mean I think up until he he had this like he had moved into an apartment in Kokomo but so he had he had been with his dad you know most of the time Kagan wasn't one to like speak ill of him really he I never I don't know that Kagan even knew really what happened when like I was a kid I don't, I don't, I surely never told him. I don't know if my sister did or what, but, um, but he always knew that I wanted nothing to do with his father. You know, I wanted, he would like have me drop him off, you know, and he was like, he would say, Oh, come inside for a minute. And I'm like, no dude, you know, I'm not coming inside and dropping you off at your dad's house and see ya. And, uh, but he would always invite me and, you know, so I think he at least knew that there was like animosity between the two of us, but um, I don't know that he knew the extent of the abuse. As far as them being close, uh, you know, Kagan never, he, like for me, I always hated Tony with all my, like everything. Kagan never had that feeling. He, he wasn't, they weren't super close. Like this is my, 
dad and son. It was more like, this is my buddy. Like, this is my friend. At least that was my interpretation of it. Um, Tony wasn't ever like this person that would hold Kagan responsible for anything he ever did. You know, he would never, you know, crack down when Kagan would do things stupid. Uh, Whereas, you know, the one moment that any of us bring up anything, you know, why are you doing that? Kagan would explode and, you know, there's no talking to him, just like his dad was. So, What kind of uh, stupid things would Kagan do? Well, I mean, so <clears throat> one time he sent me this picture. It was clearly a Photoshopped picture. And it was, uh, you know, this was when he was supposedly living in Las Vegas. And he sent me this freaking photo that was him with like in this environment, like they were out in this desert and there was these, um, there was these uh, like t-shirt salesman places. It was like being at a band and they have a bunch of these little venues set up where place you can go around and buy shirts. Well, it was clearly a, a terrible Photoshopped photo. And I text him, I was like, hey, th- what are you doing? This is not you. And he makes up some lie about, uh, well, oh, I'm trying to learn Photoshop. I was wondering if you'd catch that. And so those are the, that's a very small version of like the type of lies that we would get that we clearly know our lies. And, you know, whereas a normal parent would say, this is an issue. We need to speak about this. Like, why, why are you constantly lying like this? Like, no, Tony, he, there's no chance that's ever happening with him. You know. Right. It really sounds like you mentioned like Tony was so controlling with you guys, but you didn't really see that controlling dynamic with Kagan. No, no, not at all. Um, and I don't know. I think maybe growing up, I thought I just attributed that as like Tony just becoming a better person, maybe that he didn't need to treat people the way that he always did. But then, you know, over the years, I heard what he did to his different girlfriends and things like that. So I knew that the abuse did not stop, you know, Kagan knew about that. Right. Right. Um, and I am curious, you know, you mentioned like the Las Vegas thing, Uh, you know, do you know what Tony and Kagan were doing like circa 2017? Like, like did anything change at that point or same old, same old? To be honest, I have tried to think back, you know, like what, Tim, we've I've not had a very like close relationship with him. It's you know I think I've been the closest sibling for sure, but like it wasn't that I would hang out with him on a consistent basis. It's just that we talked a lot about video games and movies and things, and uh, I think I was just there for him to like talk to in general. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, what was your question again? I think oh, I got off yeah, track. No, you're fine. Uh, I was just wondering if you kind of were keeping track of what they were doing like circa 2017. Oh, yeah, no, I had no clue. I I thought Kagan was living in Las Vegas and that, you know, I, for the longest time, like I was astonished when they, like the police and all, all these people are like, well, he's only been to Vegas for a couple of days and we can prove that. And so that to me, um, it's pretty crazy because he told our entire family that he was living there for, I thought like three years. I know I hadn't, I didn't see him in at least probably three years. And to me, I thought he was in Vegas that entire time. 
which I'm guessing now it seems like he wasn't. So, right, it's such a it's such an elaborate lie to put out there. I, I'm curious have you have you gotten contacted by police about Tony or Kagan? Oh yes, yeah. I um they had my wrong phone number for the longest time, and then when they uh, actually got my number, they contacted me. I went in and met with the state police and the FBI and we met for like three hours and I just answered all their questions the best I could. You know, they, they had just a bunch of things about growing up. And that was really what it was, was, uh, to me, it was like a lot of what happened in this regard, what happened in this regard, you know, can you remember these dates? And that's, you know, that's what I, I just was honest. I said, yeah, this is, this is what I know about what we, what happened when we were growing up. And that's pretty much what they asked me about exclusively. Do you get the sense that they think that perhaps Tony was involved in the Delphi murders? Uh, <clears throat> well, they wouldn't tell me that. Like I, I asked multiple questions and they would never, ask, they wouldn't answer any of mine, obviously. Like that's just typical. Um, but they, I thought that the vibe I got from them was, yes, they thought Tony was involved somehow. Uh, Do you believe he could be involved? I mean, I don't want to believe that because that is, it's horrific things. And it is very hard to comprehend that, Number one, my brother would be involved, but number two, uh, his dad, like, I, I have no idea. I hope not. And, uh, that's, that's, it is what it is. You know, I will say if people could do it, then yeah, I mean, Tony is a person that I absolutely believe could lose his mind and kill someone because I have seen him on the brink of like what I felt like was going to be death around me you know so uh, if you're like 150 pounds bigger than someone and you can like mount them and just punch them in the face repeatedly you're not that concerned about their well-being and so uh you know i could he would i think if he is the type of person that could do it i mean hopefully i don't know any murderers in my life but he seems like uh at least the rage factor. Yeah. I think he could kill someone. Did he ever threaten you or anyone, you know, with like a knife or anything like that? Or did he own knives? Yeah, absolutely. Weapons were just a normal part of it's whatever he had handy, whatever was closest reach. Didn't matter. Didn't matter what it was. Baseball bat. He threw a computer, like an old desktop computer at me one time, ripped it right up from the ground. And this was because he was installing a racing game on the computer. It was an old gateway. And he was installing a game on that computer, and it didn't have enough RAM or something, and it wouldn't run. And so I tried to explain that to him, that you you would need an upgrade in order to run this game. And he absolutely snapped. I tried to sprint out of the like room, and he grabbed the entire desktop, ripped it up with the cords and everything, and threw it at me down the hallway. And so that's like that weapons. Yes, that was anything around. Yeah. And and he was a hunter. Is that is that right? 
Yes. Yeah, we've had lots of guns, lots of knives, hunting and racing, and that's literally what he cared about. Motorcycles too. Wow. Um, yeah, geez. And I, and I, and this is a awful question, but I have to ask it just because of some of the stuff we've heard. I mean, did he ever sort of indicate an interest in underage girls or anything like that? Anything sort of sexual misconduct, stuff like that? Yeah, not to my knowledge. I mean, not, and I would be honest, I don't give a shit about the guy, but I don't remember anything with, you know, little girls or if anything, he seemed like a typical, uh, like the typical response when you hear about pedophiles, he would give the typical one where, oh, he'll, you know, they, they need to die in prison and things, which that's pretty much what everyone says. That's the only thing that I can ever remember him you know, saying about any type of children. Right. That, that makes sense. You talked about the anger inside Tony. I was curious. Did you ever see that kind of anger inside Kagan? Uh, yes. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, <clears throat> Kagan, just a, a big angry guy. That's how he has always been. He's been, his way of dealing with things is a lot like his dad's, unfortunately. Um, I don't, I don't know of any time he's ever been physical with like women or, you know, anything like that. But, uh, Kagan will be, you know, the first person to absolutely explode on you for no reason whatsoever. I mean, in a, uh, like a tirade and, you know, it's just, he, he's an angry guy. I've always just known him as being a, a pretty angry kid. So for, for Kagan, what was his really, like, did he have relationships with girls his age or any, like, what was his deal with girls, I guess, growing up? Um, I mean, to me, it's like, he, he never had any girlfriends that I can remember. He had a couple like different girls that he, dated that I can remember coming to like Christmas a couple times. I remember him having a girl there, but uh, nothing ever long-term that I can really remember other than the one he was with, which uh, I don't even remember her name, but the girl he was with was most recently, but she, um, she, I don't remember how much younger she was, but she looked very, very young. And I brought it up to my mother that, um, how old is this girl? Like, are you kidding me? She looks like she's 15 years old and, uh, you know, mom didn't like it either, but the girl was 18 or 19, I guess. And so, uh, you know, that's the, that, that's the only girl that I remember him long-term dating and they, they ended up living together and, you know, they were together for quite some time. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. 
Welcome to your next true crime obsession. Don't miss new BritBox original drama, The Sixth Commandment, which The Guardian calls as immaculate a piece of TV as you will ever see. You will hear evidence of extreme gaslighting. Help me, please. I am going to be waiting on you, hand and foot. Stream this plus the best selection of British true crime series anywhere, only on BritBox. Once you start investigating, you won't be able to turn away. Start streaming today with a free trial at BritBox.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how how has this been for you and your family at this point? I mean, it must be awful since the thing, you know, everything's gone public with Keg in, in particular. Yeah, uh, it sucks. Um, and this was so selfish of me, but the first thing I thought of when he got arrested was, thank God, we have different na- different last names. Um, but, I mean, I have a job that I'm, you know, I have an appointed position, and so things that, uh, that uh, you can, it's like in this day and age, you can lose your job for anything, and so I don't want to be affiliated with someone that is clearly going to go to jail for a very long time for minimum, you know, all the horrific things that they're saying he has done. So, uh, it's been really hard to just even, it's been hard to think about it for my mom because for me, like I don't have my actual Bart name like out on the internet really at all, uh, only for my job, you know? So anything I do, I'm not on Facebook, social media or anything like that. So uh, I haven't seen all of everything, but my friends update me, you know, about how many times things are shared and, and just how many people talked about him when it first got announced. And yeah, I mean, to me, up until the day he got arrested, it's like he, he was my little brother that I've known my entire life and that you love and you want to you know, like take care of when things go wrong. And then even like hearing the things and then hearing it from the police and then just some of the things that I've even, you know, talked to him about. It's it's really weird how you're... It's weird how it affects your like thought process towards them. Because, yes, Kagan's still my brother, but um, it's really hard to even think about, you know, he has a he has a phone in jail, you know, like they can text, you know, they can text people. Sometimes he'll text me and, you know, it's, it's like about the basketball game or something. And I never want to respond. And I feel so bad about that. But that's the way that this has made it feel to me is that... You know, even my brother uh, could have, you, you feel like you've been lied to, you know, like you, your entire life, like all these things. Like I felt like him and I were fairly close regarding things. And to know that this is what was going on behind the scenes is really hard to deal with. Yeah, I I, I, I think that's really well said. And I mean, 
Jeez, I can't. I can't imagine. Also, as you say, what your mom's going through right now. And then I had a question. You talked about uh, hearing Tony's voice at the movie theater a few years ago. Uh, I was curious. I assume you've heard the the audio of the person on the bridge saying "guys down the hill." Uh, did that sound like it could have been Tony to you? No, it didn't. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he has like a very kind of high pitched, weird voice. Like it's not it's not deep at all. Uh, so yeah, I d- I did not think it was Tony. Um, did did it sound like Kagan? Mm, it did sound like Kagan. I will be honest. I I uh I, I'm just gonna be honest. I I did. It did sound like him to me. Yeah. Did they either of them go to Delphi ever? Was that some place they would have hung out or knew about? I mean, I really didn't. Uh, at the point Kagan got arrested, we had not. Like, heck, I, when the cops originally called me and asked me, I didn't remember when the last time I had even seen him. Uh, I had only seen him a couple times since he got back from Vegas. And I would have no clue if they have if they do anything over in, in Delphi. I mean, we grew up right near Delphi. You know, we grew up in Cass County, and so we've all been familiar with that area. I mean, we fish around there quite quite often. We did when we were kids, anyway. Well, he was much younger, but when I was uh, in my high school years, we'd fish back around uh, Burlington in the Delphi area and Wildcat Creek and. So, yeah, we'd have knowledge of it, but I have no clue what either of those two were doing uh, when they got back. No. I want to jump to the the Vegas thing, because that's I think that's super interesting, like this elaborate ruse of, you know, I moved to Vegas, you know, by everybody. Do you remember, like, how that came up? Was it like sort of sudden or was that something where, like, they were, you know, okay, a month from now, I'm going to be going to Vegas? Oh, you no, know, it was planned. He he has told me, like, he's told me so many, so many different things that are just astronomical. Like, uh, things that are where he's, he's told me he's purchased land in other states. And I'm like, dude, you barely can pay your rent. You know, how'd you do this? And so I always learn to think things that he says with a grain of salt, but at the same time, yeah, he was very open about our plan is to move to Las Vegas. Um, he told me he was working at a place where they grew weed and delivered weed. And his job was basically, uh, his job was basically to trans like pick it up and deliver it to these people. Like whenever, whenever they ordered it. And so he, uh, 
as far as I knew, was doing that. And then he was going to school to be a blackjack dealer, I guess. Uh, he told me he was doing that. And he was working at some casino where they were training him to be a blackjack dealer. And then he was also told me he was working at a warehouse where uh, he was like carrying a gun and patrolling like this big weed warehouse. Like he said, his only job was to be on this golf cart with a gun and that he had to patrol around. So like, these are the different stories that I would get. Um, and, uh, it was totally planned. It didn't seem spur of the moment to go to Las Vegas. And then when he said he was gone, I mean, we thought he was gone, <laughs> you know, uh, right. I didn't stop seeing it. So, you know, yeah, why Why would you think different? I mean, he, he says he's going there, you know, maybe you're like, okay, he's exaggerating about his work, but you could assume he's probably there. Yeah, you know, and we don't live in the same town, we don't work, you know, I, I've never known him to have a job, so, I, you know, it's like, I wouldn't have seen him, like, running into him, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was definitely weird. Um, this is a weird question, but did did Tony he did he always work at the Kokomo transmission plant and I mean what was his financial situation when when um you know you you were in the same household as him Oh all that guy ever talked about is how much money he made Yeah he it was I remember one time the uh, police officer came and knocked on the door when we lived in Young America and there was this old beater car, this blue car he kept around. I don't remember what for, but he hardly ever drove it. But this cop came and said, uh, knocked on the door and I answered it and Tony was mowing the yard. And so the cop kind of walked out towards him. Tony hopped off the mower and met him in the middle. And the guy was like, sir, we've had a report of this blue car being involved or a car that looks like this being involved in like a stealing gas and he like flipped on this cop and was like i made ninety three thousand dollars last year like i don't need to steal gas and blah 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 but yeah so back then uh he worked at chrysler as far as i knew you know the whole time maybe still does i don't know but um oh you know he he always talked about how much money he had. Right, absolutely. And and did he always work third shift? Um, you know that's a good question. I really don't know. When I was a kid, uh, I seem to think he would always be home when I got off out of school. So it makes sense if it was third shift. I I wouldn't know though. I can't remember. Absolutely. Uh, I had a question here. We happened to get a, a, a copy of a part of a transcript from when the police were uh, questioning uh, Kagan right after he was arrested. And I wanted to read just a small part of it to check something with you. One, one of the officers says, uh, we had this case a while back. This little kid was in the bathroom and overflowed the toilet. So he yells for help, and the dad gets pissed off, comes to the kid. Mom intervenes. The dad punches the mother. She runs away. He chases her down, hits her, bites her in the stomach, runs back inside, slams the kid's head into the toilet, fractures his orbital socket, puts him upside down, and starts dunking his head into the toilet that was overflowed. Uh, I just 
that sounds like the incident you were describing. I just wanted to confirm, is that is, is the child in that uh, story you? That was me. And uh, they say to Kagan, what do you think should be done about that guy? And Kagan said he should get hung right now. He should be killed. Hmm. All right, yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, that's me. I've never heard that. Um, how does it, I mean, gosh, I, I listen, we, we really appreciate you sort of talking with us about this and, and we're, I mean, we're sorry to bring up like bad memories around this. Um, we, we do appreciate you kind of speaking with us. Yeah. It's not as hard as I thought it would be, to be honest. So yeah. 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 I'm, Maybe I, it's good. I hope it's a little bit cathartic to talk with someone about it. I mean, I just, yeah. I, I saw that. Uh, so you said, Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Uh, that transcript was that read to Kagan. Was that what you said? Uh, this was, he was being interviewed by the police and they wanted to, uh, they told him that story and they, they said, what do you think should be about mm. done about this guy? Uh, what do you think he's capable of? Gotcha. Okay. It, it just it just sounded like uh, that was basically the story you were telling us, and I just wanted to confirm that it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They it, we we got a hold of some of those transcripts, so we're we're doing a few episodes based on that, and then you know we're going to kind of continue to cover this angle because uh, you know we believe that the transcripts indicate that um, law enforcement is very serious about the sort of looking into Tony Klein in regards to the Delphi murders. I mean, with that, <clears throat> that's, I mean, that, I think you're on the right track there because that uh, sure seems that way to me too from that statement you just said. That This must be surreal to sort of hear about some of like, you know, this bad memory from your childhood sort of coming up now in a police transcript with, you know, a kind of a, a high profile case up there. Uh investigation and whatnot yeah that's that was really weird i mean just hearing you say that or hearing kevin say that it was uh yeah i kind of got chills i was like whoa that's i i you never think about that stuff being written down you know like to me it was just like what happened and i can barely remember you know i just remember like a few parts of that night but yeah, somebody wrote it down and like took a statement and it's filed away. That's I don't know. Never thought about that. <clears throat> Those injuries sounded really horrific. He broke your orbital socket. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I still have a little bit of uh, like a. You can't really tell, but if you can, you feel it. You can you can feel it a little bit, and then the back of my head. <clears throat> uh, I always had like a second cowlick, <laughs> you know, back there, but it was basically from a scar. Um, now I shave my head anyway, so it don't bother me. I don't remember being injured, though. That's weird. Like, I remember going to the hospital, but I don't remember them doing anything. Like, I, I remember just uh, meeting the uh, police officer. I remember getting in the ambulance, meeting the police officer at the hospital and then just talking to me in the room but yeah that's all that's all and i didn't remember that until he read that that's odd 
About how old were you when this happened? Um, so that was the last year that we lived in Peru. So I would have been in the third grade is the final year there. So whatever, however old you are when you're in third grade, that's how old I was. Wow. To think about doing something like that to an eight-year-old, you know, kid, that's just horrifying. Yeah, it's awful. Um, you know, you mentioned sort of like Tony sort of not, you know, because I, I think this is something a lot of our listeners will be like, what the hell? <laughs> or, you know, you know, just that we're thinking probably right now, you know, this this kind of abuse being an open secret, you know, was there, you know, did any, I mean, other than that incident where police were obviously called because you were injured and, and that and that was so horrific. Were there other like, attempts at intervening almost by anyone over time, like in sort of trying to stop the abuse? I remember one time that I, I can't, I think I alluded to my mom being beaten up by Tony and my dad just got really, really angry. And he, um, when Tony came to pick us up for after our weekend was over with the, with the, um, for the, like we were done with the weekend for my dad then I remember him going out there and I believe a couple other people were out there and they kind of surrounded Tony and you know threatened him and told him that they better not hear that he is being physical with my mom or me but uh I think that that made it worse to be honest because I remember when we left the, all the like Tony never said a word to me like the whole ride home and I was terrified about that I was like oh my god he's not talking at all and then I don't remember anything like coming out of it but I do remember thinking like I should not have ever told my dad that you know like I remember regretting it because uh I felt like it was gonna make it worse but and I don't think it was an open secret with most people I think it was more just like my friends a couple of the friends that i told like um and it was definitely with the family all the family knew like all of his family which was the only family we were even allowed to be around uh he basically blocked out my mom's side of the family there where she was not allowed any contact with anyone on that side and so we only saw his side of the family and like i said we went to christmas thanksgiving mom had broken nose black eye you know, and I remember her telling um, his mom one time about this happening and and she was just like playing it off like, oh, it'll get better. And, you know, like it's it's going to be fine. He just gets angry sometimes like they just totally put up with it, you know, which was the saddest thing, because even though like my mom had enough strength to go to her and say, hey, something needs to be done to just have that door to shut in her face, you know, and then of course you feel like you have no way out at that point. Right. Cause you've been cut off from all of your friends and family. Right. That's awful. Um, I, with his, uh, with Tony's dad, uh, Jerry Klein, I think he died recently. What, what was he like? Do you remember? Very nice man. I liked him so much. He, although I heard he was, 
harder to div- to deal with than what I remember. You know, I, I remember hearing he had a bad temper, but to me, uh, Jerry was such a nice guy. He was, you know, he was uh, very loving, very grandfa- grandfatherly. He took me multiple places. He would buy me books because he knew I loved to read. Um, so yeah, he was, to me, he was a very kind, kind man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, gosh, is there anything we didn't ask you about that you wanted to say or wanted to sort of express about this whole massive, crazy topic or anything like that? Um, no, I I don't think I have anything to say. I just, uh, you know, I I flipped through like the scenarios of like who would be upset with me if I said anything or if I said if I didn't be anonymous. And like, I have no reason to be anonymous. I have no reason to like be. I, I don't care who is upset about what I've said. And uh, you know, I've just been honest about what happened when I was a kid. And if that makes Tony look bad, then so be it, because he is a bad guy. So, you know, that's, uh, that's it. And if you guys, you know, find out you want to have another question, if you want to email me or talk to me again, that's, that's fine. This this was not, uh, not as hard to do as I thought. I kind of was nervous earlier, but it's it's been kind of good, actually. We would like to thank Bart for sharing his story with us. If you or someone you know has experienced domestic violence, please reach out for help. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.